All right, y'all, welcome to the Scott Horton Show. I'm the director of the Libertarian Institute, editorial director of Antiwar.com, author of the book Fool's Errand, Time to End the War in Afghanistan, and the brand new Enough Already, Time to End the War on Terrorism. And I've recorded more than 5,500 interviews since 2003, almost all on foreign policy and all available for you at scotthorton.org. You can sign up for the podcast feed there. And the full interview archive is also available at youtube.com slash Scott Horton Show. All right, you guys, introducing William Astore, regular writer over there at tomdispatch.com, which means we rerun everything he writes there at antiwar.com as well. He's a retired lieutenant colonel in the U.S. Air Force and a professor of history and senior fellow at the Eisenhower Media Network. And his personal blog is called The Bracing Views. That's at bracingviews.com. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, Bill? Hi, Scott. I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, it's great to talk to you again. Been a while. I really like this article. And unfortunately, now I clicked off the paragraph I wanted to, I had highlighted, but I know what it said. It was, um, well, the article is called Integrity Optional. Lies and Dishonor Plague America's War Machine. And maybe this isn't exactly the jumping off point because it's from the middle of the article, not the very beginning. But you say you kind of got caught up in this very narrow, quantifiable view of military progress in a way that later when you snapped out of it, you really came to realize how blind sort of the whole institution is set to be about everything and dishonor and corruption even aside that just sort of their metrics right as uh, rumsfeld called them are kind of always wrong oh. they do nothing but ask the wrong question and, and don't really understand even what they should be looking at is that basically where you're going with that yeah yeah well as i said in the article uh you know if if wars could be won by spin the, the American military would be undefeated since World War II. <laughs> yeah, David but, Petraeus but instead, would be the greatest of us all, right? Yeah, Petraeus. Well, as you know, he, he was always so careful to say that his his metrics, it, they were always fragile and reversible, uh-huh. uh, which, which doesn't sound like any kind of real progress in war. If the enemy uh, can just reverse uh, whatever state that uh, you know the surge that you supposedly won and 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 that occurred as you know in in Iraq Afghanistan I mean the military was always lying to itself and and as well as lying to the American people and it, and it comes back to the idea as you know from my article it, it's deeply ironic that my my service the Air Force the fundamental core value is integrity first. Uh, and I can't count the number of times I was reminded at the Air Force Academy that, that lying, cheating, stealing, and other dishonorable activity was, was not to be tolerated. And yet, when you get into the upper ranks of the military, you have all kinds of lying and cheating and stealing, all justified in the name of some elusive victory. Uh, you know, usually justified also by being a loyal company man or a loyal company woman. Uh, you know, you're loyal to your superiors. Uh, you want to be loyal to the people around you. And so everyone just lies about progress 
war. And, and as you know, Scott, this has been proven by the Pentagon Papers. It was proven by the, the Afghan War Papers. Uh, you know, the military says one thing in public, and then while, while privately saying, well, this war isn't really going so well, but they're not going to share that with the American people. And until until the war calamitously comes to an end. Yeah. Well, and so that's interesting even in the get-go, right, that in no other real walk of life other than, I guess, you know, raising kiddos, do you really have to tell people all the time, you don't cheat, you don't steal, you don't lie, you have to have honor and respect for other people. Everybody already knows that. Why do I got to yell that at my guys every day in their face and make them chant it while they march around or whatever. And then, right. oh, because the answer is, one, it's a government program, so it's shot through with all the economics of bureaucracy, and which means no accountability for anyone ever, and that's kind of the agreement between everyone, is everyone will be allowed to get away with everything. And then right. um, beyond that, the profession is destroying human beings blowing them to little pieces and it's not really an honorable thing like you know they raise us all to believe that you know if you join the army one day you might fight the Wehrmacht out in the field in other words you'll be taking on a bunch of German servant Hitler who really deserve it and you won't have to think twice about it never mind a lot of guys who went to World War II and came back had a pretty hard time and a lot of people died over there but um sure but the idea is, no, 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 it'll be olive green versus Nazi gray, and we'll kick their ass in the name of freedom and democracy and what Jesus would have had us do, and it'll be fine. But then none of our wars have looked like that since World War II. And even World War II didn't really look like that if you zoom out and look at the air wars and stuff. So, um, right. but anyway, so I, and that's really part of it, right? Like as Ron Paul said, he goes... You know, we're, you wonder why these guys commit suicide. We're asking them to, we, is, he was a congressman, even though he's against stuff. We're, we're asking them to engage in what is essentially psychopathic behavior, which we're only supposed to ever ask somebody to do that in absolute necessity to protect the lives and liberty of the people of our country, not to go around, you know, figuring out ways to deploy this thing. But it, in other words, it just is rotten from the head all the way down, right? Yeah, that, that you know that is when when you think about military service, uh, and and I know a lot of people, you know, people who are critical of the military, and I guess I'm I'm critical of the military in my own way, having even though I served in it for 20 years. Uh, you are you are asking young men and women to kill in in the name of of country, uh, and that and that's a you know that's a big ask for for anyone. Uh, and if you think about when you think about the idea that you're you're actually asking them to kill for what is essentially a dishonorable task, uh, and you're asking them to kill uh, in the cause of lies, then you really do have a severe moral injury, uh, and that's what I mean, a lot of our troops are suffering from. It, it's something that. You know, Matthew Ho speaks eloquently about uh, in the book that uh, Andy Basevich and Danny Shurson put together on dissent in the U.S. military. And I'm sure you know Matthew Ho is running for the Senate uh, in the Green Party in North Carolina. Uh, and, you know, he's one of those honorable guys, a former Marine who, who joined the State Department but then resigned in protest 
when he realized in 2009 that our Afghan war policy was going nowhere. Uh, and yet, you know, even though you had honest people like Matthew Ho, who, who really is a stand-up guy, you know, that war persisted for another 12 years uh, as the U.S. military kept saying, oh, yes, we're making progress, we're making progress. Uh, each time, you know, when we cycled through 17 or 18 different generals there, and they all said the same thing. And ultimately, you know, we we left in, in in chaos and disgrace. Yeah. And in fact, I mean, people go back and look at that history. He wasn't just blowing the whistle. He was giving Obama an out to not escalate and do the surge. And all Obama had to say was, listen, we have this brave, heroic decorated Marine Corps captain from Iraq War II, which he was a hero in Iraq War II, not for killing people, but for saving the lives of guys who'd driven off a bridge into the river. And he jumped into the river and saved their lives was why he was a decorated Marine Corps captain from Iraq War II. And then here he is, a State Department whistleblower, saying, hey, the reality is this is not gonna take. We should not be doing this. And then he's got the ambassador... Eikenberry, who was formerly a general in charge of that war, saying, I got this guy's back. He's right. And he didn't stand up for him as well as he could have, but it was enough for Obama to invoke. And he could have just given a big speech and said, I beat McCain because people wanted me, not McCain, to make this decision. And that's it. And he could have stood on Matthew Ho's shoulders there or, you know, stood by him and made the right call and would have had his argument. And that was why Ho did it. He was blowing that whistle the summer of 09 and Obama turned around and did it anyway. And then you have three years later, Danny Davis comes out and goes, yep, Ho yep. was right. Here we are three years later, probably another hundred thousand people killed. And what do we have to show for it? Nothing. So, right, right. No, that, see, and, and that's the problem. Uh, uh, another guy was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Paul Yingling who, who wrote that article, that famous article in 2007 about, a failure of generalship, where he said uh, the famous line being that, uh, you know, a private who loses his rifle suffers more than a general uh, who loses his war. Uh, and uh, what happens is, 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 is the, system, the system doesn't reward people like Danny Davis or Matthew Ho or Paul Yingling. Uh, instead, the system gets rid of the truth tellers. Uh, or, or it it forces them into retirement or what have you. You you find that your your career path is cut off. You know when when you speak the truth. Uh, another guy that I know you, that you know he he was with the uh, State Department I think was Peter Van Buren, and, oh, yeah. and he wrote, you know he wrote about the Iraq War and 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 showed that uh, so much of the reconstruction there was was a sham. And and he was punished as well. Uh, he was pursued by you know Hillary Clinton uh, and forced into retirement for 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 his book. You know we meant well, which was another great book where he where again he he had the audacity to tell the truth to the American people. And instead of being celebrated for that and respected for that, you know he's he's punished for that. And and that's exactly what's wrong with the system. You know, not only do we have people who are lying, but but the liars tend to be the ones who get promoted to to higher rank, uh, and the truth tellers are the ones who are demoted and punished, and that's why 
that's why you don't. That's why <laughs> integrity is most certainly optional. Yeah. Well, it seems like the incentives are all messed up. You know, I know a funny story, which I won't tell the funniest part of it because I'll get us both in trouble. But um, I know a guy who got himself and his buddy thrown out of the army under 1980s rules. Uh, or Sorry, thrown out of the Navy. And it was because he realized that everybody who failed the test to get a higher rank, that six months later when they took the test again, everybody got a 10-point bonus to make when they took it the second time to make sure ah, that they pass. Sure. And he goes, oh, I get it. This is the most absolutely inane and corrupt and ridiculously and incompetently run organization in the world for a reason, and I want out. And so I can't tell you the funny part, but uh, even that part's funny, <laughs> that, that he just looked right at that and said, no wonder the guys above me are complete incompetence. They've just been here longer, and that's how eventually they make it up there. But then... So, and I know, I know it's like that for, uh, there's all kinds of just a million anecdotes from all the wars where, especially the officers, they're getting their ticket punched. I've been to Iraq. I've been to Afghanistan. Now I get a better job when I get home. This kind of crap. It's all has, it's like public choice theory, right? Has from the highest level down to the, uh, you know, the um, captains and lieutenants and whatever, that it's all about what's good for them. And not about what's good for, you know, anybody's interest if you zoom out and look at it, yeah. you know, in terms of the nations involved, right? And and that's that's what I see as, you know, I I still I still sort even though I'm retired, I've been retired for, uh, geez, seventeen years now, I, I still sort of think of myself as a, you know, a, a military officer, uh, and and I what I see as a problem is it's like. You know, people think of the strength of the U.S. military is based upon, you know, like uh, uh, an $850 billion budget and all these weapons. But but the strength of any military is is based on, it really is based on honor and, and integrity and truthfulness. And it doesn't matter how much money you spend. If you're sending your military off on wars that are based on lies, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter the amount of weapons that you know, or or money that you throw. You're gonna you're gonna lose, and you're not just gonna lose the wars, but you you're basically losing your your country. You're you're losing the 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 your 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 democracy, uh, and that's why you know I have that anecdote at the end, or that saying from Goethe, where it says that you know if you, if your military loses uh, its honor. It, it is it has lost much of its ability to you know to 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 be a a military, uh, and and I think that's where we're at. Yeah. Well. Yeah. I mean, and that makes sense too, right? It's like the IDF constantly just acting as a military martial law police force over Palestinian civilians. If they ever get in a real fight with anything like a peer competitor. They might have a real problem. Our guys have been patrolling Pashtuns down in the Helmand province and getting shot up pretty bad, too. But, you know, essentially fighting people who got nothing but landmines and AK-47s. And so, you know, Lord knows what would happen to them if they actually had to do maneuver warfare. You know, I'm sure that they're as overconfident as ever, you know, when it would come, you know, if it came to interstate uh, conflict and then yeah it makes sense right that when 
everything's corrupt top to bottom inside the thing. All the interests are conflicted inside the organization itself that, yeah, when it comes to a fight, nobody knows how to do their job right because they're all doing a different job serving themselves. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there was a, there was a great article a few years ago, I, I think it was in The Atlantic, about how, you know, in World War II, uh, there were a lot of uh, colonels and generals who ended up being fired uh, because they didn't perform. And, and our military in World War II, led by Marshall and people like Marshall and Eisenhower, you know, they were generals who, who insisted on results. And it was quite obvious, you know, the generals who weren't up to snuff, or the admirals as well, because they were being put to the test by the Wehrmacht and, and the Imperial Japanese Navy. And, and, and so you, there was accountability in World War II. You know, you got rid of the generals who couldn't hack it. Uh, but now there is very little accountability in, in the system. Uh, and you do wonder, uh, you know, if we ever go to a more intense kind of conventional war, you know, what would happen? Sorry, hang on just one second. Hey, y'all, Scott Horton here for Tennessee Hot Sauce Company. Man, this stuff is so good. They get all different flavors. Garlic habanero, honey habanero, pineapple habanero, poblano jalapeno, and the blood orange ghost. They're all so good, I swear. And for a limited time... Tennessee Hot Sauce Company is featuring official Scott Horton Hotter Than the Sun thermonuclear hot sauce. It's full of Carolina Reapers, Scorpion Peppers, Dr. Pepper, Hydrogen Isotopes, and all kinds of things that'll burn your tongue clean off. Seriously, it's really good. Get yourself a hot sauce subscription. Spend $40 or more and use promo code SCOTT to get a free bottle of Hotter Than the Sun hot sauce. That's tnhotsauceco.com. Hey, y'all got to check out these awesome busts of our hero, the great Ron Paul. They're made by the renowned sculptor Rick Casali. They're 13 inches tall, hand-painted bronze resin based on Casali's brilliant original. Y'all may have seen mine in the background on my bookshelf in some recent interviews. The thing is unbelievable. Check out this incredible piece of art at rickcasali.com slash ronpaul and you'll see what I mean. Use promo code Horton and you'll save 25 bucks. And this show will get a little kickback too. That's rickcasali.com slash Ron Paul. Casali is C-A-S-A-L-I. rickcasali.com slash Ron Paul. And there's free shipping, too. Yeah. Well, I'm sure this is the case for all your great work over the years. I know I've heard from a lot of people, I don't know, dozens, uh, who have told me that they quit the military because they heard my show or read my books. Uh, people who never did join the military when they almost did, when they were 17, 18, but then somebody showed them or played them something of mine or something like that, you know? Um, and, but you know, one thing that's always really got me about that, cause I mean, there was never much chance I was ever going to join the army, but I did consider it, you know, when I was 17, 18, that's what you do when you're getting out of high school. It's one of your options. Um, right. So it's, you know, something that we always think about. Um, so I, I understand the mindset a little bit, you know, and I grew up in Texas. I'm from Texas. So, um, and I'm from America. So I understand how we all kind of grow up with this ideal about this is one of the paths, at least, to how a boy becomes a man and how you, you know, uh, be all you can be and, and uh, you know, do your test. It's like a, the Mujahideen going to Afghanistan for a tour or whatever and coming home. It's a rite of passage for Americans. And the enemy is always Hitler. So it's always the right thing to do. That part goes without saying, really. 
And then your dad and your gym coach and your minister and everybody in your neighborhood, all your friends, dads, everybody agrees that this is the next step after Eagle Scout, man. This is what you do. You grow up and you join the army and everybody's proud of you for doing it. And it's all great. And then it doesn't matter at all. It's like an entirely separate conversation that Bill Clinton is the president right now. Don't join his army. You gotta follow Barack Obama into battle. He's gonna have you backing Al Qaeda in Syria, or Bush or Trump for that matter. I don't mean to be partisan about it. All these guys and right. all of their wars are just absolutely horrible. And and nobody's dad or minister could stand by what we're doing in Iraq or Syria. We still got troops in Iraq and Syria right now. Twenty years of everybody's got to admit now shouldn't have done it in Afghanistan, and yet that's like a whole different conversation from whether I should try to stand the test of boot camp and see if I can do it and see if I could be a Marine too. And all of this stuff, it's a, it's somehow it's going to be honorable anyway, even though you know you're going to be participating in something that's not. It's just like, um, it's like a left brain, right brain thing or something like, like it's two totally separate conversations. Do you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, it, it's just that, you know, it strikes me. I, I recently read a memoir of, of a guy who, who uh, was in, um, a student in Dartmouth, and this was during World War II. And, and this, this class at, at Dartmouth, uh, about 40, about 40 to 42 of them joined, you know, the Army Air Corps en masse. Uh, you know, it's the Ivy League, a bunch of young men getting together, you know, enlisting en masse because, because they knew that there was something about World War II and something about Nazi Germany and Japan. There was a reason to, to go to war, uh, you know, that there was some honor there. But, you know, I can't imagine today or, you know, during Vietnam, Iraq, Afghanistan, you can't imagine uh, a class at Dartmouth or Harvard or or any of these Ivy League institutions, or almost any college, where where a bunch of young men and women would come together and say, you know, I'm leaving college, I'm going off to fight, because I think that this is the right thing to do. Uh, and it says something about our country now, that that men would do that in 1942, 1943. They would, they would leave a, uh, a posh life in an Ivy League school and go off to fight. Uh, and you just can't imagine anything like that happening today. Because yeah. the wars that we're fighting, they're not like World War II. Uh, they're, they're, they're wars of choice, and, and they're wars that are often justified by lies, like WMD in Iraq, uh, like Saddam Hussein was somehow behind 9-11. Uh, you know, the Vietnam War was... was you know, as we know from the Pentagon Papers, uh, you know, Ho Chi Minh would have won a free and fair election in the 1950s. The United States said that we would support such an election only to reverse course. Uh, you know, again, these are wars that are, that are built on lies, which is why you don't see, you know, a whole bunch of, of uh, Ivy League types, you know, joining up to fight them. Uh, in fact, we have the all-volunteer military now. Uh, and it's no surprise that uh, the military is having recruiting problems now. 
Uh, it's not because of Joe Biden forgiving a little bit of student debt. It's because young people realize on some level that, that these wars are, are, are not worth fighting. Yeah. You even have kind of an inverse of that scenario, right? Instead of college kids going off to fight, you have the college draft, which is it started out as a benefit after World War II, the GI Bill. You're a young farm boy. We sent you off to Europe or Asia to risk your life. And now you come home. You know what? We'll help you go to college. And if you're white and um, and then, you know, help you with social mobility and moving up and the American dream and all these things. And then but you see immediately the perverse incentive in there, right? It's like paying women to not get married to the fathers of their children or whatever. It's like all of a sudden that means, you know, you're not going to be able to go to college if you don't join the army. That's how you do it. Well, and it, so now you have people is, who that's their only route. They have no reason in the world to want to go fight and kill anybody, except that this is essentially, you know, one of the major routes that they could take to be able to get a college education and that social mobility, right. you know? Right. No. No, Scott, you make a good point that that um, it, you know, the, the American dream or access to the American dream shouldn't be predicated on the nightmare of war. You know, you shouldn't you shouldn't have to don a uniform uh, and go off to kill foreign people somewhere uh, just to get health care uh, and uh, college aid. Yeah, I mean, the whole system is certainly upside down. And you don't necessarily have to think the government should pick up those tabs just to know that, boy, if we weren't blowing a trillion dollars a year on militarism, we wouldn't even be worried about being able to afford that stuff uh, one way or the other. Um, uh, for the very last subject here, you talked me into buying this book. I hope I get to it someday. I'm going to I'm gonna have a whole Vietnam month here and catch up on a bunch of stuff. But um, uh, you talk about Robert McNamara and his son, and so uh, if I hope people have seen Fog of War, it's very important, this great documentary where he sort of admits it all. But then you talk about his son wrote a book about how, nah, he didn't quite fess up in the end to the whole truth. So what's that about? Yeah, that's a great book that, that his son wrote, Craig. Uh, uh, and it's all about, in, in the case of McNamara, you know, his, his son talks about how it was, it was that sense of misplaced loyalty. That, that these guys have. So someone like McNamara, you know, he, he had always had a certain amount of doubt. Hell, you know, even, even JFK and LBJ had doubt about the Vietnam War, and yet they all suppressed their doubt. And, you know, so in McNamara's case, he, he knows by 65, 66, you know, the war's not going well. He, he doubts whether or not it's winnable, but he doesn't say it. He doesn't say it to the American people. He suppresses all of that out of a misplaced loyalty to, to President Johnson and, and the rest of the uh, administration. Uh, you know, we, all of these people, you know, all the way up from, you know, a second lieutenant or even a private, you know, all the way up to the president, we all swear an oath to the U.S. Constitution. You know, we, we swear an oath to support and defend it. Uh, and we all are supposed to be, you know, put honor and integrity and truth first. And yet somehow that becomes twisted. And that's what happened in the case of Robert McNamara. He basically lied to the American people, and he justified that as, well, I'm doing this out of loyalty you know, to, to my peers and, and the leaders uh, above me. Uh, and, and his son writes about that, and his son writes about you know, how, how deeply disappointed he was uh, in his father for 
for for his for his rationalization, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so when you know when when McNamara finally comes out and says, you know, his mayor culpa, you know, we were terribly wrong uh, about the war. Uh, it's like his son says, well, that's all well and good, but it's not good enough. Yeah, I made a terrible, terrible mistake. Yeah, <laughs> nice mea culpa there. I see what you did. You know. Yeah, it's a little bit too late. You know, tell that to the 58,000 American troops that died. You know, tell that to the millions of, of, of the people in Southeast Asia, the Laotians, Cambodians, Vietnamese who died in a war that should have never happened. Yeah. You know, when Iraq War II was breaking out, and, you know, I was reading antiwar.com every day, so I didn't just know better. I knew every single thing better. And uh, a friend of mine told me, boy, if you'd been alive in the 60s, during Vietnam, the lies, it was just like this, but just a thousand times, like just the volume was turned up so much higher because of the level of violence and the level of blatant dishonesty where on TV, the TV news would show, yeah, we lost 600 guys today. And then they'd show the briefing from the Pentagon and he's like, yeah, we lost six guys and took out 600 of the heirs. And it was like, man, everybody just saw the pile of bodies on the broadcast. You know what I mean? And just, and it was like that every day for years and how it was just, you know, I, that's how I feel about the Ukraine thing now, where we got this border tension with Russia right on their border, you know, at the, with their side threatening to use nukes and everybody's acting like it's just Friday and we don't have to worry about whether we're going to make it to Saturday or not. And somehow this is going to just take care of itself. You know, I was on Fox News arguing with the liberal Democrat. He goes, look, there's mutually assured destruction. So that means we can't they won't have a nuclear war with us. In other words. We can keep doing whatever we want in Ukraine. That's our blank check is mutually assured destruction. That's not why he should shut up right now and we should not be doing this because we should feel deterred. He's saying that's why we can't be deterred because we don't need to be deterred because ultimately they'll be deterred. Yeah, well, whoever said that is forgetting the lessons from the Cuban Missile Crisis 60 years ago where we came ever so close despite all the talk of mutually assured destruction, we really did come very close to, to destroying ourselves. And, and that, could, that could easily happen again, especially with all these, uh, you know, maniacs out there, you know, talking about, you know, limited nuclear war again as, as if it's, you know, just, uh, you know, nothing, nothing to worry about. It's completely crazy. I, I can see the incentives in it, though, right? David Petraeus goes on TV gets to act all tough. Boy, the Russians better not do this or else we'll do that. And it's makes him feel like a tough guy, I guess. Good for whatever um, Instagram score or, or his pay rate at Raytheon or whatever, wherever he works now. I don't know exactly, but they do seem to, they do seem to really kind of believe their own nonsense when they say, look, yeah. Putin well, is an absolute guess- psychopath, but he'll never nuke us. You know, they just are that arrogant, I think, you know? Yeah. And, and, and the system, you know, the system winnows out, you know, people who are, are actually uh, willing to question it. Yeah. So by the time you get up to the rank that where Petraeus is, and of course, Petraeus is deeply compromised because, you know, he's, he's now all wrapped up in the various think tanks and, and uh, the military industrial complex. And he, he makes, he's making money off of it. And so, uh, whatever opinions he 
he, he's basically bought and paid for. Yeah. I mean, he seemed to be speaking under the authorization of the White House when he said over the weekend that if the Russians use nukes, we will destroy their entire conventional force in Ukraine and sink their Black Sea fleet, which is a declaration. I mean, he's saying if you nuke Ukraine, which is not a treaty ally of ours, that we will start a general nuclear war. Yeah, well, uh, yeah, but it's going to be great to have World War Three with nuclear weapons. And these people are just... Yeah. Anyway, I'm sorry. I've kept you over time, and I'm, I'm late. i got to go, but uh, it's great to talk to you again. And I really appreciate this kind of writing, and especially from a man of your stature and credibility and, and history, seriously, that it matters a lot when it's coming from a guy like you, Bill. So thank you a lot. So uh, thank you, Scott, for having me again. All right, you guys, that is Bill Astori. Here he is at uh, TomDispatch.com, and, of course, we ran it at antiwar.com. Something is rotten in the U.S. military. Integrity optional. Please check that out. The Scott Horton Show, Antiwar Radio, can be heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in L.A. APSradio.com, antiwar.com, scotthorton.org, and libertarianinstitute.org.